Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb, and I'm Julie Douglas. Uh, Julie, let's 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 set the the stage here, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, let's go to your cubicle. What what does your cubicle look like? My cubicle, yeah, it's, from uh, the Julie POV. <laughs> I think it's got probably all of the trappings of your typical office worker. It's got some personal photos, yes, stacks of books and mm-hmm. papers, but um, it does have a, a a big sign that says Cloaca Ave. Yes. Yeah. Um, of course, we can thank Coop for that, and that that I think really telegraphs to people like, "Hey, this is my territory." Yeah, you have some weird bits of art thrown in there. As I well. have some fan yeah. art that's awesome, and then yeah. I have uh, a tiger bearing its jaws like a little figurine. And again, I feel like the tiger and the sign and all of these little things are ways of saying this is my corner of the street, and uh, you know, this is this is my area and my dwelling. And uh, I should point out that our cubicles are really more like uh, what half of a hexagon. Really, it's like it's the three walls, but they're they're a little more spacious. Yeah, yeah. they're not too bad. They're gray, um, but but they don't look like the the office space uh, TV movie cubicle type of thing. It's it's a little better than that, I, I think. Oh, you're saying that it's a little bit jazzier. I think it's jazzier. It's yeah. got a little bit more angles. Yeah, going it, on. it doesn't look. It's not as nearly as soul crushing, and it feels a little more open. We have a fair amount of desk space. Um, and I, and I have my the walls of my little area decorated with bits of art, you know. So I I have like some, you know, I think a Tibetan calendar up and uh, some fantasy art, some and various bits and pieces that uh, that sort of allow my imagination to run wild. And most of it is is like agreeable to the workplace. But you've forgotten the best part of your cubicle. The oh, the sandworm avenue. Sign? Well, that, that was the one that, that gave me. that's yeah, over that the, book, the bookshelf that's next to the it. The bookshelf, which is your fortress against yeah. the world. But in addition to that uh, is the painting of Biscuit, oh, or cat. Oh, yes, yes. My sister, uh, Lucy, Lucy Lamb, she uh, painted a picture of uh, my cat Biscuit. And that's up there with the one eye. That's, she doesn't really have one red eye. She has one bad eye. But uh, in the in the uh, painting, it's it's red and kind of magical looking. So, yeah, it yeah, looks that's like going to shoot lasers. That's definitely one of the prize pieces that I have with me at work, you know, along with some other uh, personal mementos. All right, uh, I'm thinking you guys have guessed that today's topic is all about our workspaces, our cubicles, how we dwell in them, uh, what is dwelling in them. Yes. And perhaps even the future of office space. Yes, and I would, I would have to advise anyone listening to this at their cubicle, at their, their, their workspace, um, prepare to, to feel a little weird about your work environment. Uh, prepare to, um, Perhaps run out to the store and buy some uh, so, some sort of cleanup uh, uh, wipes to scrub everything down, uh, because uh, we're going to get into uh, not only your uh, human coworkers here, but your microbial coworkers and all the creepy crawlies that uh, invisibly make up your workspace. Yeah, because let's let's uh, let's be honest about it that we have this whole microbial kingdom that is surrounding us, not just on our bodies and inside of our bodies, but every single space that you touch, every single thing from that elevator button up to the floor that you work on. And indeed, we've talked before about just all the the, the microbes that our body's carrying. I mean, just our mouth, uh, uh, again, 500 to 1,000 different types of bacteria. Uh, only 100 to 200 live in a mouth at any given time. Uh, and we all have these different uh bacterial floral environments going on inside us. And then we bring these environments and a host of other things into these workspaces. Yeah, there is 
a study called Office Space Bacterial Abundance and Diversity in Three Metropolitan Areas. It's a study by Chrissy M. Hewitt and Charles Gerba et al. And they found that most of the bacteria in an office originates from the workers themselves, right? Which is, Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, we track everything in. It's spread by coughing, sneezing, and shedding of the skin. And by the way, there are dust mites that are there waiting for these little skin flakes to fall so they can feast upon them. Yeah, one of the things we, uh, that I kept coming back to in researching this podcast and the other one that we're recording today is that we really have this this false notion in our heads uh, that I I mean it's it's largely a false notion that I feel like the the more we learn about it and the more educated we uh, each of us individually are the the less we buy into this this false idea. But it's the sense that there's the outside world with all the things that live in it, all the things that can kill us, all the things that are gross and yucky. And then we're going to create these pristine indoor environments that are holy. And uh, and in this space, I am the only thing that is living. Uh, I'm cut off from all this annoying nature, and it's just me. I don't have to worry about mosquitoes swarming me. I don't have to worry about uh, other parasites uh, climbing up. I don't have to worry about things um, swooping down off of uh, dog poop. I don't know why they need to swoop down. Maybe the dogs are climbing trees now. But uh, <laughs> but still, the, the, the example still holds true that we think of our indoor environments as something special and something clean. And uh, in reality, we've just created another equally occupied artificial environment. It's just that the things that get to live there are the things that we bring in with us. So they become this kind of zoo, this kind of mutated, well, not really mutated, but uh, out-of-control zoo of human flora. Well, it is a bit of a zoo, and it is a bit of a mutation, because when you are controlling your environment like that, then you have certain microbes that are going to subsist rather than other ones. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, mutated, I did. I just didn't want to make anybody think that these things were actually uh, mutating right. on, a, like, a genetic level. But in terms right. of an environmental mutation, mm-hmm. I, I think that would probably hold true. So, of course, this would lead you to begin to wonder, like, where would all of these germs in an office building be hiding out? Um Researchers at Kimberly Clark Professional, they used a molecular detection method to gauge the germ count in typical office spaces. And the areas that garnered the highest amount of germs, 75% of them were dwelling in the break room sink faucet handles. Ugh, which we all touch without thinking about it too much. No one will be surprised by this. 48% of those germs were hanging out on the microwave door handles. Yeah. Uh, keyboards, 27%, and refrigerator door handles, 26%. And then, of course, you've got water fountains at about the same rate, 23%, and vending machine buttons. Wow. So I don't think any of that is a surprise because I don't know about you guys out there, but if your office has a microwave and people use it a lot, perhaps there's lots of evidence of that and it's extremely dirty and corroded with food. Like well, ours you, is. You know the inside is going to be gross, but you did not have to think about the handle so much. Uh, I don't know. Because I, I, I just think I mean, that's evidence of like it's getting used every day. It's probably getting used 20 times a day. Hmm. And then you know right then, ah, all that muck that's stuck up in there is is a good indication that this thing is getting a lot of play. <laughs> the petrified uh, tomato sauce and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I would have easily guessed keyboard because obviously we're touching our keyboards all the time. And used to, I don't really eat snack mix anymore, but I used to be like really into snack mix, and uh, and I would have that horrifying time when I had realized like something had fallen through, and I'm like, oh, I need to get that kernel of nut out of my keyboard, and then I turn it upside mm. down, and it there's like just a rain of filth that comes out of it, and then I yeah. then I have to clean everything. Um, 
but yeah, any space that uh, that individuals throughout your office are coming into contact with on a daily basis, it's going to accumulate, even though it it looks clean. I mean, it looks super smooth and polished because all those fingers are rubbing it with their oil. Well, the thing that I was surprised about um, is that in your own personal space, that your chair is actually rife with bacteria. Your phone, that makes sense. Yeah, the, the, the phone's the chair. pretty bad, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading that um, if you make a telephone call, about 25,127 microbes per square inch um, are present. Uh, so that makes it one of the, the grimier things just in your desk environment. Eavesdropping on your phone call. Well, yeah, maybe. In a bacteria. But back to chairs. Um, uh, uh, studies pointed out that we were looking at that individuals do um, fart in their, ch- in their chairs. What? Apparently. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a little rude, especially if you're, you're seated next to people. But, um, I mean, that's, that's where the business happens. So uh, there's going to be a certain amount of uh, bacteria released that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so one of the studies uh, we, we were looking at actually... Um, brought gender into this, which flows naturally from the farting uh, discussion, because we've talked before about uh, possible uh, gender uh, biases regarding uh, flatulence, uh, or flatus, if you will, mm-hmm. um, that uh, that men are going to be more apt to just let it rip, and then females are going to be uh, more conservative and perhaps uh, go somewhere else and uh, do it in uh, some with some sense of decorum. But according to researchers at San Diego State University and the University of Arizona, um, the services in men's offices had 10 to 20% more germs than their female counterparts. So, uh, and the idea here is that maybe just men are a little more gross than women. Well, there was another idea that... Farting and also just clutter and eating gross things over their keyboard and everything well, else. Well, there was a hygiene question. Were they yes. washing their hands as much? But the other question was, could it be that on average men have more surface area of skin and therefore more yes, microbes? That's the, that's the other side of this. Maybe they're just bigger. They have more skin. And again, most of the stuff is coming in on our skin and our skin is constantly, let's face it, falling apart and shedding <laughs> into uh, tiny little pieces of dead skin and just leaving these flakes everywhere. So more skin, more awful stuff that you're bringing in and dropping all over the office I just over feel, your desk. I just wanted to throw that in there because I feel like sometimes I'm, the guys that are listening to this podcast are like, man, so not only am <laughs> I more likely to get struck by lightning, but I have more germs on me mm-hmm. and possibly my uh, Y chromosome is just going to go extinct one yeah, day. Yeah, and you're just a mutation necessary to the species as opposed to the female, which is the, the true um, version of the uh, homo sapien. The cleaner version. Yes, the cleaner version. Or perhaps not. All right. Uh, so let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we are going to talk a little bit about sick building syndrome. And then we are going to talk about the utopian vision of the cubicle. All right. We're back. And... Uh, yeah, we're going to jump in uh, a little more here, but first I want to just run through a couple of quick factoids. Some of these come from our um, our article uh, about cube death and HowStuffWorks.com. You should check that out. Uh, Molly Edmonds, I believe, wrote that one. Yes, Death by Cubicle. Death by Cubicle. But um, restaurants with surfaces that contain more than 700 bacteria per square inch are considered unsanitary, but the typical office worker's hands come in contact with 10 million bacteria a day. That also uh, uh, flows in nicely with the fact that uh, the average kitchen table uh, it tends to be more clean than a desk because it's getting wiped down mm-hmm. all the time, or you're supposed to after you eat there. Um, there are crumbs, so you wipe it down. But the same thing is happening with your desk. People are eating at their desk. I eat at my desk, and I don't wipe it down each time, so it's really horrible. 
Uh, from that same article, it turns out that toilets are actually cleaner, the, the toilets in the offices. Yeah, because at least they're getting some level of, of cleaning. Well, and if it's like ours, they're probably getting cleaned twice a day, right? As yeah. opposed to your desk, which gets cleaned maybe once a year. Uh, another study found that teachers are, of course, the, the grimiest profession because they have to come into contact with, uh, with uh, human Grimy larvae. Kids, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but uh, cubicle-dwelling accountants came in second. Uh, uh, because their desk uh, racked up 6,030 bacteria per square inch. So that's pretty pretty impressive. I saw on another list that lawyers were the lowest on the list. Huh. Well, why is that? Are they just kicking back? They're not touching anything? I don't know. This is the uh, create-your-own-lawyer joke portion of the uh, of the podcast. I have that, guys, yeah. right here. Hold yeah. on. Okay. Okay, they inserted it in that, that space. Um, you know, another thing to keep in mind, too, about the, all the junk that we bring in to the office place, uh, the bottom of the feet. And I think about this sometimes, and it really makes me pine for uh, like a, a shoeless office place, kind of like uh, uh, Cooper's office on uh, Mad Men. I was just everyone, thinking you know, about has that, yeah. Eastern-style um, approach when they enter his, his office. Because, you know, obviously we're walking all over the place in these things, stepping on horrible, horrible substances and, and, uh, and bacteria and urine and bubble gum and food and chemicals. you name it. Yeah, chemicals, horrible pathogens. And it's also po- uh, worth pointing out that every time you step down, you pressurize the air that's in your shoes. So you, you can think of this as kind of like a shoe fart. You stomp down, you squirt a little warm air carrying a foot uh, microbiology out. So just in the course of walking around the office, mm-hmm. we're tracking in crud that we've been walking uh, uh, through, you know, on, on the train, in the street, uh, while walking the dog. And then when we get in, we're shoe farting all of this, uh, this uh, microbiology all over the place. So <laughs> think about that. Well, I mean, this is what creates a nice, uh, thick ecosystem of microbes to work in. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to mention that in addition to, to all these uh, microbes, sometimes you will see references to sick building syndrome or occupational asthma. And uh, this is experiencing asthmatic symptoms like itchy eyes or coughing while at work. And it makes up about 10% of asthma cases in the U.S. And it is estimated to be responsible for 24.5 million sick days annually. Uh, this is according to Lisa Belkin, who's writing for the New York Times. So there's this idea that when you create this microbial stew in the office, uh, that you're creating conditions that can certainly weaken your health, um, cause asthmatic reactions. And there's also sick building syndrome in which a moldy or a poorly ventilated office causes headaches, fatigue, and nausea, just to name a couple symptoms. Yeah, because you have this shut-off environment, and uh, to what degree are you actually ventilating it, bringing in clean air, or are you just sort of s- cycling the, the whole sickness around? Well, know. as you say, we've shut out the outdoors. Yeah. So we have limited our environment. We've really skewed it, because at least when you're outdoors and maybe you live in a, a city that's fairly polluted, um, you're still getting some movement there in those that cloud of microbes is dissipating. Yeah, and we're bringing in these uh, these toxic substances uh, often from carpet, furniture, paint. Yeah. Um, other items such as the uh, you remember the war of the lavender um, um, air freshener here at work. Yes. It seemed to last months, but it was a. Uh, it was a synthetic lavender air freshener, and uh, it was permeating the office. Yeah, because lavender, natural lavender, is a beautiful smell. I, I love lavender, mm-hmm. but this was that artificial chemical lavender that you can just you feel killing your brain cells every every whiff you take and uh it was uh there there was there was a war which uh just to keep it short 
between you know, uh, well, those of us who you know wanted what? the air freshener and those of us who didn't. And that is a good example of some of the aggression that we see in these more open office concepts. And we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a moment. But yes, that's, that's certainly something that you're introducing into the environment or right. the ecosystem. And why was, why was the lavender air freshener there? Because uh, be- that particular office was haunted by funk. It had. And not the good kind of funk. A foot stink. Yes. Well, what I think is fascinating about all of this is because it sort of sprouts from this whole cubicle culture is that the cubicle was introduced as this sort of utopian idea of an, an office uh, space that someone could really lay claim to and spread out and, and be as creative and productive as possible. And when I'm talking about this utopian office vision, I'm talking about Robert Propst. He was a director of research for Herman Miller, the furniture company. Mm-hmm. And he created something called the Action Office. So think about think about cubicles now, right? Just these squares, essentially, or yes. our fancy, like, right-angle ones. And uh, think about this vision that he had, that he created, which was really more of, like, these half walls... But that was there so that you could pin up projects and then all these different... Mm -hmm. And have a little privacy when you needed it. Privacy, yeah. And then um, a lot of desk space with different components you could add on to it, like bookshelves and so on and so forth, so that the person who was working there could spread out, um, could have all the things that they needed at hand. Yeah, make it their own. You don't have to, you're not ruled by that in and out box. And you would have varying uh, levels of workspace. So yes. you can you can sit down and you can work, but you can also stand up and work. Yeah. And of course, that's growing more and more popular these days with uh, with individuals who want to stand and work all day. Right. I mean, it was very forward thinking. Yeah. Uh, but now, this is what used to exist before cubicles. And we're talking about this um, open bullpens mm-hmm. where there were really small desks, like think about school desks that were just lined up one after the other with no privacy. So, in a sense, this this uh, utopian vision was a vast improvement. Yes. Sounds great, right? So, what happened? Well, where did it all go wrong? Well, the, the problem, the main problem here is that you're taking an ideal and you're you are going to work that into a business environment and into a business plan. You're going to deal with space constraints. Mm-hmm. You're going to deal with budget constraints. And you're going to end up with a, a product that looks uh, significantly different. Right, because we're talking about the late 60s mm-hmm. here. We're an increased workforce. Uh, we're talking about uh, the real estate costs just skyrocketing, too. Yeah. So they had to solve that. And they looked at this company, Herman Miller, a lot of corporations, and said, hmm, can I cherry pick that configuration to just choose what I want? Because if you do, you you run into not, not an excellent means of uh, creating a, an open workspace for your employee, but a way of cramming more people into a given space. Right. And uh, while still providing them uh, basically the workspace they need to, to work. And that's where this lovely idea of this action office just was uh, cherry-picked to death and then eventually reconfigured so that it just got smaller and smaller and smaller until it became this corporate sardine can plant. Yeah, these little gray cells that you uh, you slide yourself into. I was looking at pictures of them because I sometimes forget what they look like because I, I don't, I've never worked in a, in a space that really had them. Um, because I was in news newsrooms before this, I was working for newspapers, and newspapers generally go with the open office uh, mm-hmm. uh, environment because you're all working together, you're yelling right. at each other, you're breaking into tears, um, you're, you're collaborating <laughs> on this project on a deadline, uh-huh. and there's a you know there's a lot of uh, there's a certain amount of time wasting, but a lot of just 
let's get this done. You right. Know? It's, so it's, it's a cool environment, but it's not definitely not a cubicle environment. And then here, of course, we have uh, this altered cubicle environment that we've described already. So, uh, but but looking at these images, it, it really is soul crushing. Some of these, I mean, it's just it is. looks like a cell. And it has dominated the office landscape for thirty years. Mm-hmm. That being said, now employers are going back to this more um, open bullpen configuration. Yes. So that's where we begin to introduce a bunch of different problems, right? Because here... We're talking about the open office. The open sort office. Of, uh, we've actually seen it parodied in, in, in recent uh, TV shows, like in Arrested Development, uh, the most recent season. They have like this, basically a warehouse with this. Yes. Where it's like desks spread out across the, these spaces. Um, Parks and Rec had uh, uh, had that business that uh, John Ralphio and, uh, and Aziz opened that's... Uh, Oh, they have a huge space with all, you know, like a desk here and like a basketball hoop hoop here. Yeah. And it's become sort of a cliche of startups. It has. And, you know, uh, various companies handle things differently. There are some that will actually not have any assigned seating. So when you show up, you just check out your laptop and then you go, you go to a desk, check out a laptop for the day and then go find a place to sit. Yes. Yeah, so let's make the workspace as much like a middle school cafeteria as possible right. because we right. all have fond memories of that. Right. Now, I think the reason why employers are going to this is one, it's really cheap, right? You have no walls, you have no partitions, you don't have to worry about a ton of office furniture. Now, do the, the managers still have closed off offices? I assume they do because they, they have to have. Uh, yeah. Well, not all, but there are some companies where managers are out there with everybody, and there yeah. are no. It just okay. depends on the See, company's philosophy. I would feel better about about it if it, if the managers rolling this out um, were partaking of this new environment because a lot of times it feels like I have this great idea for you guys. You're not going to have uh, offices or cubicles. You're just going to sort of exist in a comfy space. If you need me, I'll be in my office. Yeah, but offices are necessary because you have to have some yeah. measure of privacy. Oh no, no, right? I'm I'm a big believer in offices because right. if, if you have if someone's going to be fired, it needs to happen in an office. <laughs> it's true. If someone's going to be interviewed for a job, it probably needs to happen inside of an office. So off closed offices are necessary, um, and I think that uh, the, the the privacy afforded by the right kind of cubicle mm-hmm. is is certainly necessary to my work environment. Like I can't imagine if we were all sitting around on beanbags here. Um, and I was having to, to, to try and work on a laptop while Jonathan Strickland shoots basketball and tells me about his weekend, I would lose my mind. Uh-huh. I think, though, that this is a trend that is going to continue because, again, it's a, it comes down to money. Mm-hmm. And the, the other part of this is that uh, so many companies are beginning to or have already adopted pretty robust teleworking policies. That's right. Why waste the, uh, the money uh, and the space on, a, on, on me having a designated office space or a designated cubicle if I'm only in once a week, twice a week, right. even three times a week. Which is where you have the unassigned uh, yeah. desk space. It sort of makes sense. Because we, if you're yeah. only going to be in a couple of days a week, well, then great. And it's sort of, it, it is a fair trade-off, I would feel. It's like, it's hard to complain about, about that if you were getting multiple telework days per week and they said, oh, by the way, you don't really get to have your own office anymore. Yeah, Right, you don't, right. You really get to have your own designated space. Now, this is probably something that a lot of listeners are experiencing. Um, and I say that because according to Susan Cain and her New York Times article, The Rise of the New Group Think, virtually all American workers now spend time on teams. That's a, that's a new thing, right? Teams where, you know, you're not just working individually anymore. And some 70% inhabit these open plan offices. Yeah. Which she says no one has a room of their own. Well, you know, back to where we was talking about uh, newsrooms. And you, have you worked in newsrooms? I before? have, you have yeah. Them. So, so uh, again, like that's a, a 
uh, the type of operation where an open workspace makes perfect sense. Because it is a team effort to get this done. There's a there's a certain amount of leave me alone while I write my yeah. my paper, uh, write write my article. Um, and in the old days, you used to go cigarette me, and they would stick a cigarette in your mouth. <laughs> That's what the old timers were telling me. Um, I'm sure I can see it, and it's a very I like the I like the uh, environment of of a newsroom because I think that it's very intense, and it yeah. gets it can get very loud. It can, it can sort of like when the anxiety rises, so too does the volume of the voices. <laughs> Um, but I was very good at just blocking all that out, because you know when your head's down, your head's down. Um, I had uh, had a coworker uh, by the name. I'm going to go an outer uh, Rachel Oswald because she's uh, still a fabulous uh, journalist out there in the world. Um, but uh, she had this thing where she would be on deadline. She would be finishing the front page story that I needed to put in the paper mm-hmm. that I was editing, and uh, and she everyone has their own way of, of getting work done. Her way was to uh, put her headphones in and listen to show tunes and and sing out loud, sing the show tunes out loud as she was finishing the article. And so, you know, it's like, you know, it's 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 night already, you want to go home, and, and it's not the time to listen to your coworkers sing show tunes, but, you know, this is how you're going to get there. You have to let Rachel sing her show tunes and finish the, the front page story. Um, I wanted to point out that if, if you feel like your office space is shrinking, mm-hmm. if you're in a cubicle or if you're in an open plan or even if you're in an office um, with capital O, turns out that the average square foot or square feet per worker fell from 225 in 2010 to 176 in 2012. This is in stark contrast to about 500 square feet that were allotted for each uh, office worker in the 70s. So you can see it's just like slowly being whittled down. And there's this idea that as a result of this uh, lack of space and this bullpen sort of environment, that there is an increased amount of anxiety, aggression, and poor health. And this is from researcher Dr. Vinesh Oman uh, from the Queensland University of Technology's Institute of Health and Biomedical Innovation. He said that in 90% of the research, the outcome of working in an open plan office was seen as negative with these types of offices causing stress and conflict and high blood pressure and high staff turnover. Hmm. So you can begin to see this, like if you talk about the anxiety or aggression, you can see this in an open office plan because if you're in the middle of that, you are very aware of your coworkers' conversations mm-hmm. of perhaps the Glade lavender air freshener that they put up. Yeah. Um, or even like some of the little habits, maybe the clipping of their nails or toenails at their desk. Yeah, which you love, right? I really, I could hear <laughs> that all day and look at that all day. <laughs> um, so that begins to really sort of heighten what people are feeling are distractions and annoying. And you get that, that higher blood pressure. And you get more stressed out. So it sort of makes sense that in these environments, you're asking people to do very specific work, sometimes work that requires a lot of attention. Uh, and yet, here are all these different things going on all around you. Yeah. You end up putting uh, headphones in to cut out the noise and try and concentrate more. But then with that comes the added uh, fright of someone trying to get your attention every now and then. And that just ups the anxiety again. The startle response. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it comes out a lot of people enjoy, I mean, I enjoy the privacy and space in which to do my creative thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and really, that to me, that's more valuable at this stage of my career than teamwork. Because really, who's my team? Like, you're on my team. Noel's on my team once a week mm-hmm. for a few hours. And then Tyler's on my team 
like a few hours a week. Tyler's our video producer, yeah. and Noel is our podcast producer. Yes. And of course, we're all wearing matching t-shirts. Yes. Right now. Um, and we are a team, but you're right. I mean, what we all do is, is largely very independent. And Susan Cain in that other, that article, The Rise of the New Group Thing, said that this is really important for people who are creative, but they're also introverts. They need to have that space. We've talked about this before. Um, they need to feel like they have privacy and freedom from interruption. And, and this is where it's really important that, that, uh, that's another thing that bugs me about the potential of a, of a manager with an office deciding things. Also the idea of an extrovert who's a manager with an office deciding mm-hmm. how everyone else's space is going to work. Like, hey, guys, let's just do this. Let's big old work party nonstop, realizing that most of us do not want to attend, or some of us do not want to attend the work party. And the idea of the work party alone is enough to give us the shivers. Well, I think that there should be opportunity for informal collaboration. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. That That's, I think, why they say, hey, come in, make sure you're in the office X amount of time, or we're going to have an actual meeting about this. But um, it turns out that if you have those sort of informal like, hey, how's it going, you know, uh, and you share some ideas that you then take that inspiration from that conversation and you go away and you do the actual work, right? Yes. So if you just sat around all day collaborating, nothing would get done. Yeah. It kind of comes back to what we we're talking about, the caffeine episode, the idea that when you you, you take your, your, your coffee, you caffeinate, uh, then you're able to focus on a, to- on a given topic. Mm-hmm. But then you're not doing the free brain association uh, activity that is the, the hallmark of a creative endeavor. So you need a balance between the two. So we need to share spaces with our coworkers. We need to be able to collaborate. Uh, we need to shoot basketball uh, uh, hoops with Jonathan Strickland. John- I don't know why Jonathan's shooting basketball on this. I, I, to my knowledge, he doesn't shoot basketball. But at any rate, you need to... Uh, shoot some hoops with Jonathan every now and then, mm-hmm. but then you also need to be able to to walk away from Jonathan and find a place of quiet. It's true. And the quiet is the big deal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the chief complaint that most people have in any kind of office setting, is that it's just not quiet enough. There's too much going on. I can hear someone on the phone talking, and I can't hear the other person on the other line or mm-hmm. wh- you know who they're talking to. And that's maddening. We've discussed that yes. in episodes. So, like, hearing half a phone call is one of the most... Dis- disturbing things possible because your brain wants to loop everything up even if that's not your primary activity (laughs) far from it from the day your brain wants to make sense of it yeah it's distracted because it's trying to make sense of that conversation and Mm -hmm. and, um, fill in those loops but uh, I did want to point out that there was a survey of 65,000 people over a decade Uh, this was in North America Europe Africa and Australia 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 Uh, and they did they said this is the thing people you know half of these people say that they need privacy and they need speech privacy. So they need to be able to make a phone call or have a conversation without everybody hearing it. And they also need not to hear everybody else. So I thought it was interesting that a software company called Autodesk, which was setting up a new office, they wanted to test out something called a pink noise system. Okay. Okay. Now this is described as a soft whoosh, whoosh that's emitted over loudspeakers. And it sounds like a ventilation system but it is specially formulated to match the frequencies in human voices. Hmm. Okay, so unbeknownst... So it's sort of an organic white noise, thus the pink noise. It's like a fleshy white noise. I have to say, the pink noise sounds kind of nice, right? Yeah. 
a little dirty, but nice. Yeah. Like a, you know, like a ventilation lullaby, really. Yeah, it makes me think of the ventilation system as alive and fleshy, though. Like we're in a Cronenberg office. I do think of pink goo dripping down from it. I yeah. have to say, um, but unbeknownst to the employees in that office, they had no idea this was running, and it was run for three months. They shut it off, and boom, they immediately got complaints. <laughs> and Everyone people, lost their mind. Well, they they couldn't pinpoint it. They didn't know. They just kept saying, like, I can hear so and so, and there's. You know, like it was like that day that the um, power was yes. was knocked out, and it turned uh, the the lights were on, but they had yeah. to shut off all of the really high end stuff, like the ventilation system, and, and it, it suddenly eerie. felt wrong. Yeah. yeah, we were like, "What's going on in here?" Well, the same thing happens, I think, around like six o'clock yeah. in the building, and um, like used to when I would stay to six, like that's when I knew it was time to go. Like, it feels wrong in here. Something weird. <laughs> right. Too quiet. You had those cues, right? Uh, so it was interesting because apparently that, that system was helping to muffle conversations. So all of a sudden people could hear conversations from 60 feet away, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like, you know, it sort of deadening that sound for them. Well, I, th- I think we ought to introduce, uh, we can call it green noise and it'll be, um, just a constant like whooshiness, but with kind of ghostly voices too. So that, uh, you're, you're constantly a little bit on edge. <laughs> Robert Lamb, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's kind of like an ectoplasm based pink noise, I think. So, it's sort of like the, the Matheson um, novel. Oh, it's like, Robert uh, Hell House? Lamb, yeah. Come out. No. Um, oh, I Am Legend. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's what we all need is, is this uh, promise of zombies behind the our office door. So, I started to think about this open office concept in lack of privacy is running parallel with this other issue that we have in our lives of not having any privacy anywhere because of the internet or the amount of information that we're giving out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's sort of interesting. Do you know, to, to look at it that way and wonder if this is just uh, us really fulfilling an adaption to what our current circumstances are. Is this a really a big deal? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Like it, it does remind me, uh, one of the, the criticisms of the open office space is that people going outside to take personal phone calls instead mm-hmm. of having them at their desk, which, doesn't sound like really that bad of a thing, but the idea is that supposedly you're losing some time in doing that. Um, but it's is, is it it's not like that it would be any less private to have that conversation in the office space. You're just seeing people. Like so much of it is just our perceived privacy. Mm-hmm. We need to have this agreed upon fiction of how private our workspace is. Uh, like for instance, working in a crowded coffee shop to me is is great. I can I can really put in my headphones and and just barrel through a project. But I'm certainly not private. If anything, I'm visible by more people, but I don't really, I don't tend not to know any of them. So it's almost like they're not there. So, But it's all about just me creating this uh, this environment, uh, this, uh, this worldview in which I have privacy. Well, that's right, because all those people around you are not saddled with a, a you know, biography that you know. So if you're in a coffee shop and someone next to you is yapping about mm-hmm. something, then you're probably not, you can probably just say, okay, that person's yapping, I can crowd them out of my mind. But if you put a name to them and some instances or collaborations that you've had with them, perhaps then you start to feel like, oh, could you please quit talking? <laughs> so it's interesting to see that um, we do have to create this illusion for ourselves. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's that's ultimately what the answer is. You have to have an environment that allows people to have privacy, that allows people to work together, and throughout all of it, create an, an illusion that they can accept 
that they have the privacy to work. Right. And part of that illusion, too, is making those people feel like they have choices. Like, for instance, we're going to decorate our um, our cubicles and feel like it is ours. It's my corner of the street, right? Yes. Uh, which makes you feel like you have a little bit more control over your environment. Yeah. The freedom to put up a poster of a barbarian lady cutting off a monster's head. Like, that is, is important. I fight for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Not only in this workplace, but the next, uh, in anyone else's workplace. I will uh, write an email on your behalf to your boss about your right to put up that barbarian poster. <laughs> there you go. Take them up on it, guys. All right. Well, on that note, let's call over the robot and do a little listener mail. Uh, th- all of this comes to us from Facebook. And uh, this first uh, one comes from Brad. Dear Robert and Julie, I just listened to a uh, writer's letter about uh, naming holidays for the seven deadly sins. He could not come up with a holiday that matched envy. So I thought about it, and I came up with your birthday. It is the only holiday typically celebrated by one person at a time. On another note, I'm a late-time subscriber to your podcast and have been trying to catch up furiously. I'm a truck driver and listen to about 10 podcasts today, uh, and possibly a day, uh, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, I should be caught up in no time. Sorry for the uh, pronunciation and writing. I am using voice text to write this message. Keep up the great work. Ah, I like that, and I like how he's, you know... Trekking along and, and doing the safe thing here and using uh, yeah, voice I, to write this. I mean, I, I guess I knew that was possible because of all the Siri stuff. But uh, I think this is the first time that we've had a listener write in and actually told us that they were using uh, voice-to-text software to write to us. It's kind of crazy and futuristic in its own way. I would be interested to know, since he has sort of a mobile office of one, Yeah. Uh, what sort of things in his office environment as a trucker, you know... Um, Work for him or don't work for him, and does he ever get into big arguments with himself? Yeah, the mobile workplace is a—that's a whole another issue in and of itself. Because you get into—you certainly get into issues of ergonomics there. Because mm-hmm. it's one there, uh, and this is explored in Molly Edmonds' article that we cited earlier about uh, cubicle death. Um, you know, there are a number of concerns about uh, posture and p- keyboard position and eye strain and all of this mm-hmm. r- related to a physical non-moving office. But then in a vehicle, you know, like if you have a keyboard to the side. Um, uh, such as in a you know any kind of like a survey vehicle or a police car, et cetera, uh, there are a whole host of new ergonomic problems that present themselves, such as constantly twisting over to use a keyboard right. at a weird angle. Um, so anyway, that's a whole other issue. But, uh, but yeah, certainly- yeah, I'd um, be interested to hear about the passing of time, too, in that context, as we just did an episode about time. So if you're in that environment and you're on the road, how does that pass for you? Um, what sort of things make it pass quicker or slower? This one comes to us from Amanda in uh, Saskatchewan, Oxbow, um, Saskatchewan to be uh, specific. She writes in and says, thought I'd write in about your recent coffee episode. I am one of the super sensitive types. A coffee is reserved for very important uh, times only. I have, uh, if I have to stay up all late all night and most of the next day sort of reasons only. Hopefully my abstaining is keeping me extra creative. Three exclamation points. Uh, so, yeah, it sounds, sounds like... Uh, I've, I've certainly talked to people like that who are just ultra sensitive to it and only use it if they really need to stay up like crazy. But yeah, yeah. Uh, then we also heard from uh, Bonnie. A listener Bonnie writes in and says, "I love coffee, so I really enjoyed the recent uh, episode on coffee. My dad started giving me the, the extra little bit of his coffee and uh, that wouldn't fit in his work thermos when I was just a little kid. And then by junior high, he was making enough for me to have a real cup of coffee before school. I never get the caffeine jitters, nor do I ever feel a jolt from drinking a cup of joe. Guess I have built up quite a tolerance over the years. What I really wanted to ask, though, is which of your coworkers do you think would have a jar of your 
Warren in their office, uh, in their office, and are you and are they fellow podcasters that we the public might be familiar with? And if we guessed which ones uh, they were, would you tell us if we were right? Do you want to field that one? Um, now I will say the the coworker that has the most um, liquid receptacles on their desk at any given time has to be Holly. Of uh, stuff you missed in history class. I just noticed there will be yeah, numerous she... cups and and cans. I, I I believe they are empty, but they could conceivably be filled with urine. I'm not saying she's doing it, but, but I'm she saying is she could. The ultimate like ladylike person in this building. You know that, yes. right? Like she's not. I mean, if you went, if I tell her what you just said, we, we should, actually I will, and we'll stand <laughs> there and let's register the horror on her face. So I would not. I would not say that that Holly would be the urine. No, 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 no. She wouldn't. Person, but she has. I have someone in mind. Are they a podcaster? Mm-hmm. Okay. But I think I feel like I, I kind of need to ask. Male or that, female? I feel like I kind of <laughs> need to ask that person if, if this arrangement is okay. Okay. Before agreeing to it, I'm very intrigued by this. I, I would love for you guys to guess who I'm thinking, but uh, you know that person has to be a willing participant in this. Okay. <laughs> All right, Bonnie. Well, you heard that. Um, Tune in later for more details. All right. We also heard from Meg. Meg writes in and says, I was just listening to the coffee podcast, popular with a lot of people, and wanted to chime in since you wanted to hear from creative coffee drinkers. Um, as I've uh, written before, I'm a professional miniatures uh, painter and have been uh, for the last five years. I'm an avid coffee drinker, especially before painting. I find it really increases my, cre- my creativity and productivity. I also have experiences uh, with hand jitters, like Robert mentioned, uh, he gets before he paints minis. Painting is a very zen activity and helps keep me calm and centered throughout my day. One question I have for you guys is how does caffeine affect people with ADHD? I am ADD, and I know others who are too, and we all swear by drinking caffeinated beverages on days we forget our Ritalin or other stimulant medications at home. Uh, we have found it acts like Ritalin in a pinch, and caffeine actually helps our brains to focus. Uh, it says, Robert, anytime you come to Seattle, let me know, and maybe we can uh, get a paint jam in sometime. All right, that's, uh, okay. I, I think I'm going to have to put that in the file for future ADHD yeah, yeah. episode. Because we've talked about this and we've had another request for it in terms of creativity, ADD mm-hmm. and ADHD, and how it may or may not affect creativity. So we'll have to explore that. And just as far as miniatures go, I was really intrigued that, that Meg, even though she has experienced apparently some of the hand jitters before, that she makes a regular point of drinking coffee before she, she paints. But. Maybe she has naturally steadier hands than I do, so she doesn't suffer as much. Well, and then there is that level of sensitivity to yeah, caffeine. Yeah, indeed. Everybody has kind of a different cocktail in their body, uh, reacting differently to it. Uh, and finally, we heard from uh, Matthew. Matthew writes in and says, Hi, Robert and Julie. Love listening to your podcast, and I often find myself imagining your recording setup. For some reason, I picture a dark room, devoid of any distracting pictures, etc. Simply two stools, a table, and two mics. Any chance you would post a picture of your actual recording setup? Well, I, th- I would say that we don't really have to because if you watch the Stuff You Should Know TV show, mm-hmm. the setup they have in that show is fake, but looks sort of like a clean TV version of what we actually have. Well, you're talking about the the red um, yeah. batting that serves as insulation, yes. right? Uh, or to actually deaden the, the sound vibrations so that yeah. you don't hear the traffic too much there on Peachtree Street. But we also have pictures of bats. Yes. Um, and I think we've mentioned this before. Picasso in his underpants. Yes. Uh, Tesla over there. And a book on Santa Fe, Design and the Wit and Wisdom of Fishing. 
Yes. If this gives people a better idea of the sort of clutter that we have around us. We also have a terrarium with a homunculus in it. That's uh, we not have true. we have a necronomicon in a vacuum sealed chamber. That's true. And uh, a collection of various potions, some of which have been tested on our interns, some of which have not. I will not confirm or deny. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have something you would like to share with us, um, and particularly about uh, today's episode, about the workspace. What's your workspace like, uh, and how does it affect your creativity, about uh, your your ability to uh, to jam and brainstorm with your, your coworkers? Do you have a mobile uh, working environment? If so, how do, you, uh, how do you remain creative in that? How do you remain comfortable in that? Um, let us know. All of this stuff is game. You can find us in a number of places. StufftoBlowYourMind.com is the mothership. That's where all our blog posts go, the videos, the audio, you name it. Pictures of us. If you don't know what we look like and you're trying to figure that out, well, that's where you need to go to find it. You can also find us on social media. Well, we're on Facebook. Uh, we're Stuff to Blow Your Mind there on Tumblr as well. And uh, also you can find us on Twitter where our handle is Blow the Mind. Oh, and then YouTube, Mind Stuff Show. That's right. And you can also send us an email at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 